Ladies and gentlemen, if you like the Smug Film Podcast, do yourself a favor and head over to patreon.com slash smugfilm, where we've got a bunch of great rewards if you donate to the show. For just $1 a month, you'll get a bonus mini episode of the show every Monday in your inbox, as well as access to all the past mini episodes. These episodes will never be available on iTunes or smugfilm.com or anywhere else. The only way to hear them is by donating $1 a month through patreon.com slash smugfilm. For $5 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes. Plus, we will do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on one episode a month. Your movie, your small business, how cool you are, your Twitter handle, whatever it is, we'll plug it. For $10 a month, you'll get the bonus episodes. Plus, we'll do a 30-second plug of whatever you want on every single episode of the show. That's four episodes a month. That's an incredible deal. So once again, the URL is patreon.com slash smugfilm. Head on over there today, and we look forward to your kind donation. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. Hey. Jenna Ipcar. Hello. And our special guest live via Skype, Mariah Gates. Hi. Good to have you. Nice to be here. Mariah Gates is behind the awesome, uh, what would you call it, blog, Twitter, everything. uh, YouTubes. Project, uh, all of that. A Year with Women. 2015, she watched only films made by women and hundreds of films. And uh, we're, we're glad to talk to you today. I am glad to be here. I'm fighting with a cat right now. I'm sorry. She's trying to like bury herself on me while I'm trying to talk to you. And it's really strange. She wants uh, to be on the show. She wants to be under my computer. And I don't know why. <laughs> we got to get a mic for her. <laughs> it's really weird. Okay. I think I've avoided her. Um. Yes, it's very nice to be here. I've been um, talking about this project with a lot of people once it was over. I tried to get people to talk to me while I was doing it, and that that succeeded a little bit. But after I actually finished it, more people were like, you actually did it? And I was like, yes, you did. Well, how did it get started? What was the the initial idea and impulse? Well, it was sort of like a two-year process where I saw two really great documentaries Um, in 2013, one called The Girls in the Band and one called The Punk Singer. And both films are about by women and about women in in music, actually. And in both films, the protagonists are talking about or the subjects are talking about how they they didn't really have someone educating them about women in the arts, in the specific arts that they were doing and um, how they had to, like, discover things on their own and how they just thought that was not fair and and you know, the world should be championing women artists. And I was like, oh my God, I'm doing that same thing. I, I, I barely, like, I barely read anything, any books by women in high school or in college. And I like watch movies. I've, like I spent a year one time watching a thousand movies and like, I don't know how many of those were women, but it was not a lot. And I realized that my whole life was a lie <laughs> hmm. from those two movies. And um, so the next year I started um, this feature on my blog called Female Filmmaker Friday where I wrote about a film directed by a woman every Friday, as that sounds. And about halfway through the year, I started seeing all these lists of like films that were on Netflix that were directed by women. 
but they were like really generic, you know, Catherine Bigelow kind of stuff. And I was like, we have to dig deeper than Catherine Bigelow. So I made this huge list of a thousand or of a hundred films that were on Netflix that were people could watch. They were directed by women of all kinds of genres. And from there, this was about June of 2014. I was like, what if I just spent an entire year only watching films by women? Like there's a hundred, at least a hundred films on Netflix. And then living in Los Angeles, there's usually at least one film a week that's opening somewhere that's directed by a woman, not to mention everything available on VOD. And I was like, there's, there has to be something I can do. And so I decided to start it right at the beginning of the year. So it'd be a whole calendar year. So was um, it, was it all uh, directed by women or was it, you know, some written by women? Everything was directed except for the month of November, also known as Noir November, which is a celebration of film noir that I founded six years ago. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to not participate in my own, you know, festival thing. So I, um, everything I watched for Noir November was written by women. Nice. Yeah. Which took a while to like, to me a whole day to like go through all the noir that I hadn't already seen and like find 30 new film, new to me noirs written by women that were available (laughs) for me to watch. How do you, how do you begin to research this? I mean, like, how do you make the, the list? For the November one? No, just for the, the year in general, because it seems like oh. until you came along, nobody really was collating this. Well, actually, there are several. There's, there were several lists. There's a woman named Barbara Ann O'Leary who started a, a thing called Directed by Women, and it was a two-week festival in September where she wanted everybody to just watch films by women and tweet about it. And she had a really great curated list on movie that she'd done starting at the beginning of the year that I um, used a lot in trying to find things uh, streaming. There were several lists that were available, but not very many of them were like cohesive in like, this is how these are where they're available at, you know, like here are, here are streaming options. Right. Here are, um, you know, I guess the one I'm thinking of is directed by women. Cause she had her movie list, but then on the site now, if you go to directed by women.com, there's um, a database that she has where you can search by genre and by year. So yeah, yeah, she built this database. It came, it, but it was finished about halfway through last year. So I didn't use it when I started, but I definitely used it. I hadn't heard of that. It's kind of interesting that there's a handful of people like yourself all kind of doing this at the same time. Yeah, it- I in my in my wrap up post, I tried to sort of give a shout out to a lot of the women who I found in the, in doing this. I found a lot of women who were trying to do the same sort of thing and maybe not able to reach as many people. And so um, in order and trying to get everyone in like one little funnel was important to me because and supporting all the other women who are shining a light on women in film. Like there's a great Tumblr called, are we, am I allowed to curse? Yeah, absolutely. We, we, if anything, we encourage it. Okay. There's a great Tumblr called um, fuck yeah women or fuck yeah female filmmakers. And um, she's been a, great person to collaborate with all year because she posts about everything, both what's coming out and what to look forward to. But also she goes all the way back to, you know, like Alice Guy and she just, that's all she posts about. It's, it's really a great blog. Did you see the thing? Was it this year or last year where they were trying to do the documentary about Alice Guy and then it yeah, didn't get funding? I, I no, it, it's um, still going. The Kickstarter got its, got its money. I donated. Oh, I, yeah, I remembered it. It was, um, it was a Dorothy like crunch Arzner time. One. The Arzner one. That's the I one I'm thinking that's of. That's the one that didn't, yeah. didn't make its money, which is a bummer because she's 
so great. Yeah, I saw Christopher um, Strong on your list and got all excited. I love that movie. Yeah, um, UCLA did an amazing um, festival don't, uh, showing all of the films of hers that they had restored. Oh, wow. Uh, so I got to see several um, several of her films on the big screen last year. Which, uh, which are your favorites? Uh, my favorite of hers is actually The Bride Wore Red, the Joan Crawford film. I don't know that one. I like Joan Crawford a lot, though. It's really good. I've seen 68 Joan Crawford movies. I'm almost <laughs> I'm almost finished with everything that is available. I've got like four left. How was the print of uh, Christopher Strong, by the way? Because that's that's got one of those like Warner Archive DVDRs, and I remember it, it even has like video artifacts on it. Like it has like mess ups in like transferring it from tape. I think it was like a. It was it was a pretty good print. All the prints that they showed were, um, I think, from their collection, so they were all pretty good. Several of the films that they showed were restored thanks to Jodie Foster. Oh, nice. Yeah, Jodie Foster donated a bunch of money to restore Arzner's films, which, you know, it'd be nice if more super rich celebrities donated money towards film restoration. You know, in, in the vein with Joan Crawford, what after doing this project, did you find that they're like, what, what, what women should people uh, go to for women to watch or follow? I'm a big fan myself of like finding one director or actor that I really like and then just going through everything that they have and kind of just following that thread to find other good things. So who, who yeah. are your favorite picks from, uh, you know, from your project? I watched a lot more Mira Nayara than I had previously. Like I'd only seen Monsoon Wedding and... Um, Vanity Fair prior to this year. And I caught up with a lot of her shorts and some of her older films. And I, I really dig her. I think she's a great filmmaker. I didn't finish her entire filmography. So I'm trying to finish the last few of her films. I also, I don't I, I didn't actually do a list of like all the different directors. That's something that's like all the lists that I made up. That's one thing hmm. I didn't do. I'm trying to think of somebody. Oh, I saw you did a couple of Ackerman, right? Yeah, I, I had this Ackerman set that I bought from Criterion. Like It's a great two, set, yeah. Two or three years ago, and it just kept sitting on my shelf. That and the Varda set, I had them, and then I didn't watch them. and So I... Um, the, myself- the four early Varda films one? Yeah. I haven't I haven't gotten through those yet. That's one of my next I want to do. It's good. I really like how um, sassy she is as a filmmaker. Yeah. Like, it comes across... Well, you get that even in Cleo from five to seven. I mean, some of the things the camera does, like who has the guts to do any of that? Yeah. When it just and starts her, swaying. Some of her early, her early films, like the point Kurt is really great. Also. That was her debut, right? Yeah. And there's a great documentary on that criterion set where she talks about like not really knowing anything about film in terms of being like a cinephile. She just knew she had stories she wanted to tell and she didn't know that women weren't supposed to make movies. She just did it because this is what she wanted to do. She figured out how to do it. And it's it's like a, an interview from the 60s. So she's young and like really sassy. That one was, it was 55, right? I think so, yeah. That and, right. and then they say the French New Wave started in like 58, 59, which yeah, I they, never got. They call her the grandmother of the French New Wave, even though she's the same age. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah, I don't get that. I always thought that clearly was kind of like the first one. Yeah, it's it's very similar to, you know, what Truffaut was doing, but I think it's more like I mean, I think they I don't know why, you know, most historical moments, especially in film, are like a man did this. So and then it's like, yeah, but what about the women who did it first? Like Alice Blaget, for example, was probably the first to do a narrative film, but she doesn't get credit for that. She gets credit now, but like, you know, yeah. for 
the beginning of film schools, they didn't talk about her. She also had her editing, I think, was 30 or 40 years ahead of the time. Yeah. Another silent female filmmaker who had amazing use of editing is Lois Weber. Yes. She did suspense, right? It's suspense. She has this great film name called Shoes. She's like a great, a great director who needs like a, a retrospective like disc set released by somebody because yeah, she's amazing. Suspense, I think, is one of the great early films. It's it's so um, it's almost Cubist looking. Yeah. So so what did you hope to get out of this project? Were you hoping to to sort of learn more, uh, you know, facts, maybe just like learning about who did what first and finding out about women that you just don't hear about? You know, what were your expectations going into this project? Well, another another reason I wanted to sort of cleanse my palate, if you will, from like films made by men is I was getting finding myself not enjoying watching movies. I would just see all of the like patriarchal bullshit that's mostly not intentional, but it's there. And I just got really sick of it. And I was like, maybe if I only watch movies by women, that will go away and I'll like movies again. And that really happened. Like I was, I never, I very rarely saw movies this year where I was like, ah, why did they do that? You know, like all of those stupid representations of women that are, are just so wrong for the most part were gone. There were a few where I was like, oh my God, I can't believe a woman made this. Humanoids from the deep jumped out on your list in well, that way that for one, me. That one has an interesting story. They, she made this film for Corman and then Corman was like, yeah, this is good, but there's not enough rape. Holy shit. And had male directors come in and add the heightened, like, you know, sea creature rape. Wow. Yeah, I never knew that. Jesus. And the boobs. So she never directed another film. She moved to the Northwest and, like, makes candles or something. Did you try to get in touch with her? She'd probably be a really interesting person to interview about that. I didn't, but my my friend who um, curated the festival that I saw that at, uh, I believe spoke with her and that's how she, he got some of the details about that production and why it was so rocky. She'd be a good one to get on the show. I always thought that was the worst Corman because it's just so gross and, in that regard. What's unfortunate about it is if you take that part away from the film, it's actually kind of an interesting um, ecological film. Yeah. Do you think that it was psychological that, that you felt better about some of these movies? I mean, like I know on your list, some of them, uh, you know, not to, I'm not trying to attack you, <laughs> but uh, you know, like American psycho or like um, I think like private parts is directed by a woman. And these aren't movies that are really about women, uh, but women are in them and sort of used in them. And of course that is a, a accurate portrayal of, of men. But um, like, you know, I don't know that I would look to those movies as like a breath of fresh air as far as, you know, mm-hmm. being female and watching. Well, those are ones I, I haven't seen private parts and American Psycho is one I saw years ago. Most of the films that I watched this year were very female centric. Only a handful were very, were sort of had masculine protagonists. Like I watched Lords, Lords of Dogtown and that was a very bro movie. And uh, Mikey uh, and Nikki. Mikey and Nikki, I actually did not particularly care for. You didn't? Mostly, really? Mostly because I don't really like 70s cinema. All right, we're going to have to cut your mic there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll pack it in now. Yeah, I talked about that and people were like, get out, you have to leave. And I'm like, okay. But you loved Wanda, didn't you? Oh, uh, Wanda's great. I yeah. love, love, love that movie. Wanda's really great. They always, I always thought the two of those were kind of similar in their structures. But Wanda is is such an amazing female character. Yeah, and performance. I mean, she is just spectacular in that movie. And she feels like a real, she feels like a real 
woman from rural America who doesn't have the tools to do anything because that's not what's expected of her. Yeah. That one, I, I saw a lot this year and um, the year before, a lot of people were starting to kind of pick up on that one. And I, I, I thought that was kind of heartening. Were there any things like that along the way that you thought were kind of like particularly heartening or disheartening about the state of um, representation? Like the yeah. two documentaries you were talking about. During October, TCM had this great uh, festival where on a Tuesdays and Thursdays during primetime, they showed only films directed by women. And they had like themes. And one night they showed all films by African-American filmmakers. And that was a really wonderful time to sort of see people talk on Twitter because some of them are, are filmmakers that people don't remember anymore. And then some of them are like Julie Dash, who should have had a bigger career yeah. after, after um, her, her big splash with Daughters of the Dust and then like nothing. And then... But my favorite was, and and John mentioned he wanted me to talk about this movie, was watching Just Another Girl on the IRT with people. Because I had, I discovered that film on Netflix in February, last February, and it was not like anything I'd ever seen. And it was amazing, this, this 90s film, this one film from this director. And then when TCM showed it, all of these women who um, had grown up watching it on BET were like, oh my God, I can't believe this movie is still around. And so I got to see all these people who loved it when they were children tweeting about it. That's really cool. And I was like, ah, it was almost like getting to see it in a theater with these with these women. And I was really grateful for for that because I loved it, but I didn't know anyone else who had seen it. And then I got to see all these people tweeting the lines that I loved. And I was like, yes, we're watching it together. That one's frustrating because it feels like like I don't understand why it's not a bigger hit. Because a lot of the movies that it's sort of contemporaneous with a lot of the black New York cinema from that time is now, you know, people are really rediscovering it all the time and really taking care of it. And that one feels like it's slipped by and I just don't understand why it's such a lovely movie. And considering that it was, you know, distributed by Miramax, you'd think. Yeah. Yeah. It it wasn't, it wasn't thrown away or anything, you know, it was really. It's, it's very, it's very strange. And I don't know if it was like the filmmaker just had, you know, maybe she didn't have the right office attitude when she went in to like talk with people and i'm afraid that that happens a lot that that filmmakers aren't really trained in the deal so they have a hit and then they go to make you know the deal with the next film and it's a disaster like if you if you read anything about david lynch like he spent years having really bad meetings because he's he's not very good at articulating his you know vision and but because his vision was so strong, you know, eventually he got to be David Lynch. But like, I feel like a lot of filmmakers, the reason they're one hit wonders is they have this one hit and then they don't have the right people in their corner to keep them going in terms of dealing with the business. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way to look at it, because you do have this sort of like imbalance of one hit wonders. Did you see it's not on your list, but have you ever seen Pariah? The D. Yeah, Rees one? I saw, that, I saw that in theaters and I'm so grateful because it was such a beautiful film and when it was over i like called my mom and i was like thank you for being supportive of every stupid decision i've ever made and never trying to make me be something that i'm not she's like what did you just watch (laughs) (laughs) yeah that one's like huge and so relevant and and i she's she's just sort of disappeared from there and i don't understand it because it's just an unbelievable debut Um, she made bessie this year and she had one of the best quotes in um, that Maureen Dowd piece about 
uh, the women of Hollywood speaking out. Right. Yeah, I have it right here. She said, here's the, this is the quote. I look at Woody Allen's prolific career of 30 or 40 films, and I'm watching the clock. I'd love to work at a clip of a film a year. We don't get the benefit of the doubt, particularly black women. We're presumed incompetent, whereas a white man is assumed competent until proven otherwise. They just think the guy with the ball hat and the T-shirt over the thermal has got it, whether he's got it or not. For buzzy first films by a white male, the trajectory is a 90-degree angle. For us, it's a 30-degree angle. Mm. Yeah. And so like she she was um, learned her stuff under Spike Lee. And yet in the last 12 years has only made two films. Yeah, he was. Uh, wasn't he EP on um, Pariah? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a total shame. I just don't understand. Do you see like you, when you, it's like how Rian Johnson got chosen for Star Wars, though? I mean, he had Breaking Bad behind him, though. But, you know, f- fuck him. There's so many women that could have been chosen. And they choose this guy who's come up with, like, a couple of okay movies that are, like, a little moody looking. But, you know, it's true what you're saying is that, you know, just no one gives women a, a second chance. It's like the first chance is this sort of, like, you know, oh, it's a fluke. Or, like, oh, she had one good thing. And then they just, they drop it. Or I think probably more likely than not, they just don't listen to him. When you get someone like David Lynch who comes over and says, like, no, I have a very specific vision and this is what it is. People are like listening. Oh, we have to treat him with white gloves and, you know, the artisticness will come towards us with women. I don't think that people treat them that way ever. Oh, I definitely don't think that um, women are allowed to be that sort of artistic genius the way that men are. And I mean, I love David Lynch, but if a woman had tried to do the have the kind of career that he's had, she would have gotten to make a razor head and that's it. Right. Yeah. Mel Brooks wouldn't have given her an elephant man like that's not going to happen. That's why like. Women like Megan Ellison, who does Annapurna films. She's like, you know, billionaire's daughter. So she puts money behind films. And for a while, she was mostly putting it behind male artours. But the last few films that she's backed have been women who had great debut, debut films. And what's really important, I think, is for people like her who have the ability to back women to back women. And unfortunately, there's only a handful of big players that do, do that. Like Judd Apatow does it. And Paul Feig, like his entire filmography practically is films written and and starring women. Right. Like that's just what he does. What you're saying too, you know, I I always sort of have found uh, that when you get this like power couple with like a male director and his wife is an actress or vice versa, those are like the best roles for women. Like Cassavetes is the first one who comes to mind that everything he had for Jenna Rollins, it's stuff where like all of her characters are like, layered interesting great roles for a woman and it's because it's like and you can tell it's because well he loves her you know it's like he stops for a minute and thinks like oh gee whiz like she has a personality like i really want to bring that out like on the big screen and you know i think that that you know definitely you know obviously helped her career by having him there to back her up and just you know to to prop up her her talent yeah i think currently we have melissa mccarthy and her husband ben falcone like they come up with these screenplays for, I mean, obviously this is like comedy rather than the drama, but they come up with these screenplays that are the stories that she wants to tell and are play to her skills. And then he makes these films. And I, I mean, I really liked Tammy. I know a lot of people didn't, but I thought that was like, it let her do the broad comedy that she loves, but also be a more three-dimensional character than she gets to play often. That's interesting. That was- I haven't seen that one. I love Spy. It- she was so good in that. It's Tammy. I don't know why people didn't like like it. It's a it's a movie filled with women. Like there's like two dudes in the whole movie, pretty much. It's just a bunch of women doing women things. 
probably why no one liked it. To be honest. <laughs> um, and and the trailers made it look a lot more slapsticky than it actually was. It was actually just a really heartfelt granddaughter grandmother movie. She gets which, marketed terribly, Melissa McCarthy. Does. Yeah, they just show all the broad strokes that she does, and don't, they don't show any of the great like depth that she has as a performer. Right, she's that in was these a spy problem. Yeah, she's in these movies that are so like interesting and different, and then all of the marketing's like she's fat, it's fine, just keep going, and you're like, what the fuck, you know? Like then you go see that movie, and it has it's like usually inverting every stereotype that that the marketing you know team used for that movie. It's such a bummer. Yeah, yeah it's. I mean, it says a lot about how marketers think they can sell a product, basically. You saw Diary of a Teenage Girl, right? That was on your list. Yeah, I saw that one. I really love that movie because that also is a, a movie that inverses, you know, made by women a, about, you know, starring a, a, a girl as the um, main character directed by a woman. Uh, I think the books were written by a woman. Um, and, uh, what a great also inversing of a story that's already been told by men so many times, but telling it, you know, I, I sort of describe that movie as Lolita from Lolita's perspective. Yeah. I, I saw several films this year that were written by women about the teenage girl experience. So many of the films I watched, that's what it was and different facets of it from sexuality to, um, friendships to, you know, dealing with abusive parents or whatever. There were several different ways of like what it is to be a teenage girl instead of just that one sort of go shopping idea that a lot of mainstream Hollywood films think that's all teenage girls do. Right. Um, and it, one of them in particular, Melanie Laurent's Breathe was one of the best looks at like a toxic teenage girl friendship I've ever seen because it went places that I don't think men would go because they've probably never been a in a toxic teenage girl relationship. You know what I mean? Because they're men. Um, and watching it, I was like, I've, I've had this friend. Oh, my God. And then when it was over, it made me so grateful that I will never be a teenage girl again, but also terrified if I do have a teenage girl, then I'm going to have to see that, like, for real again. That sounds great. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. One so, that I saw on your list that I, I really dug, which is also, you know, a debut was It Felt Like Love, the Eliza Hitman film. Oh, yeah. That's that a was, tremendous film and such a powerful debut where it's like you wonder how she's not made two films since then. Why? Why nobody took notice? Because that's I mean, that hits notes of like what people like in like Todd Solon stuff and people like in like Eric Romer but is so original and, and very well done. And a great lead performance. Oh, yeah. That that actress is so perfectly awkward and sort of a um, such an observer of everything instead in, instead of a um, like an active participant for the most part. And then when she finally becomes an active participant, it's like so poorly done that you're like, wow, that is definitely how a teenage girl would behave in this mm-hmm. situation. You know, it's surprising that teenage girls make it out of this world alive, basically. <laughs> yeah, like, one that I um I saw on TCM, too, that I didn't see on your list, I don't know if you caught it, was uh, Girlfriends, the uh, Claudia oh, yeah. Weil. Yeah, I saw that one a few years ago, so that's why it wasn't on the um, this year's list, but I did rewatch it because it's one that I particularly love. Yeah, I'd never heard of it, and uh, I, I really, really dug it. And it was like, it was kind of the thing that you see like Lena Dunham doing, but without all the stuff that bugs me about her stuff. Like it was distilled yeah, to all the stuff I dig. It's one that she has cited as a pivotal film for her artistically. I think she programmed it at like a mini fest at the BAM Cinematheque a few years ago. 
and it's it's actually it's available on DVD from the Warner Archive. That's yep. how I that's how I saw it originally, and it's one that I particularly like because it's about how when you when you grow up, you grow apart from your friends in kind of a similar way that Francis Ha is, but it shows sort of more intimate moments between that friendship than than Francis Ha even manages to do. Yeah, and great early Christopher Guest in that film. Very young. Oh, their fight is my favorite part <laughs> of the whole movie. Yeah, he's tremendous. So good. So you have this very unique perspective on this now where you've kind of tracked this internationally and across time. I mean, does it seem like there's sort of a constant level of female participancy in directing or like, you know, does it like ebb and flow historically or across countries? Are there some places where, you know, it's better or sometimes where it was better? You know, I think in the early, late 80s and early 90s, we had a really good time in America in terms of studio produced films by women. And partly this was because the government was investigating and Hollywood was like, we'll fix it. Kind of like they're sort of doing now. That was also when you had a lot more black films. Yeah. And so there was, well, because there was this whole huge, there's a big paper on it. Like there's a 40 page document that's floating around somewhere on the internet. um, Basically underlying, like there was a a committee that was supposed to like fix the diversity problem. And they had all these things they were going to do and they did it for a while. And they started recruiting from film schools. And, and that's how you got to have um, people like Amy Heckerling and, and Susan Seidelman and Martha Coolidge sort of come up and Alison Anders and all of these these women and get their films made by studios. But then after, you know, they did okay, but they didn't do like no one no one directed a Jaws, right? Like no one had a runaway yeah. hit. Like the closest thing I think was probably big, made a lot of money, but it didn't like change the industry. And so they were like, eh, let's just go back to how it was. And so the nineties came and you had an influx of like the independent women coming in, which was great but the studio started to decline. And then you had the 2000s and independence started to decline because the economy declined. And so then that's where we are now as well off as we were in 1998. Because um, all of those factors sort of crushed everything that was happening in terms of the change. So what do you see fixing this? Because frankly, I'm at the point with a, a lot of different perspectives on this, where I think the best thing that could happen to the film world is if a bunch of the studios collapsed. Like the early, you know, like the seventies again. In terms of the business, it's just clear that the the business heads need to realize that they they have to hire women, you know. But in terms of like film goers, but what a lot of these statistics are box office numbers, right? It's nine percent of the top grossing films are directed by women. That mean that doesn't mean only nine percent of films are directed by women. That means nine percent of the films most people are going to see. If you follow that logic, that means if you actually care, if you're one of those people that's like, this is unfair, you have the power to change that even slightly by being a smarter consumer. Yeah, you vote with your dollar. Yeah, it's like if you um, are against animal testing, you don't buy shampoo that gets tested on animals, right? It's the same thing. If you want female filmmakers, go see their films when they are available. Pay for their films on VOD, and that that money will go up and the money as soon as once the money starts going up, you know, hopefully the percentage will go. You know, people will start looking and be like, oh, these these movies do make money. Like, for example, last year, McFarlane USA was this it was opened in a billion theaters. It's a Disney film directed by Nikki Cara. It was a sports film. It was really good. It's one of my favorite movies. And it opened like third. 
Really? To what? Uh, the Duff and I don't even know some really stupid looking comedy. Because it was like the Duff. Yeah, it was like late late February, and so it was like most of the stuff in theaters was crap. And McFarland was really well, really good and well received by critics. And it opened third. And I was like, guys, here was your shot. You just you didn't even try. Yeah, I feel like there's also part of that, though, where it's like, you know, it goes so far down. You know, it's like they're not even that they're not hiring like, you know, the female directors. It's that like the firms that are even doing the hiring don't have enough women working there. And so because of that, they're not even thinking about women, you know, and like same thing, like with marketing, this marketing stuff where like Melissa McCarthy, like she, she gets maligned so often just in the marketing, you know, and there has to be some woman somewhere on that marketing team. And maybe she doesn't even realize that she's doing it or they just need more women that are, you know, like can open their eyes and watch a film. You know, it's so, it's, it's so disheartening, but I agree. I mean, obviously like the, the easiest way to do it is to just go to the end product and, and support it. And then hopefully yeah. that, that wakes people up to, you know, hiring. I, def- I definitely think there's just so much to use the M word misogyny within all of the industry. And most of it, I, I don't even, I don't even think most of it is conscious. I think most of it is just how things have been done for so long. And no one has pointed out, by the way, this is terrible that it just keeps happening. And, and you know, for example, um, in terms of casting, right, they, they found out that only 30% of speaking roles are, are women. But if you have a female writer or a female director, that goes up to, it goes up to like 55%. So it's like, it's, it's equal if you actually have just, even if you just have a writer who's a woman, suddenly- What, what percentage have women writers, do you know? Oh God, it's terrible. It's like 15% or something. It's almost as bad as the directors. Is it better in TV at least? Uh, marginally, but it's also um, terrible in terms of like women getting hired in TV. Is There was a statistics that came out from the DGA that basically said most first-time directors are still men, like in terms of, of tel- episodic television. Yeah. So if you're not hiring women to even direct then you're never going to have women as showrunners and uh, luckily though in television a lot of the high profile shows have female showrunners the numbers aren't great but the few women who are doing it are on high profile shows so it looks like it's great yeah it's it's actually not that great that's interesting i didn't think of that one of the ones on your list actually first love is the um debut of this woman joan darling i don't know if you yeah researched her too much during the this, but I think she's just her story is the most interesting. That uh, Norman Lear sat down and said, "We need a woman director because this is ridiculous," and um, basically was the person that now you don't really encounter much, which is you know the person willing to take the chance on the woman director. And then it turned out that she was like the most brilliant director on TV at the time. Yeah, go through uh, go through the episodes that she did. Yeah, yeah, she was a great television director. Um, there was one I was reading about. The other day, um, I think it was Felicia Rashad's sister who like directed so many episodes of TV. I can't remember what her name is. That's really sure. interesting. I didn't know she had a sister. I think it was her sister. It was somebody. Yeah. Debbie Allen. So her sister's Debbie Allen. Debbie Allen has directed so many episodes of television. And she's actually she's an actress also, but she's done so much television. If you look up her television work, it's like insane the amount of shows that she's directed oh wow i'm looking at it now yeah what do we got yeah cosby show different world uh roots next generations fame 
good times quantum leap uh i mean that's just in one you know cluster except for quantum leap those are all shows they would never make now either yeah Yeah. (laughs) i was looking her up the other day because i was watching an episode of the twilight zone and it said debbie directed by debbie allen and i was like wait what i had no idea she directed so much tv the 80s twilight zone or the 60s one the the 2000s one that i didn't even was that the Forrest Whitaker one or yeah they they had like a spate then they brought that one back that was back um, for like a second yeah yeah, and Outer Limits came back at the same time yeah yeah actually I I gotta correct myself I was actually I pulled up on Wikipedia and that was that was her acting credits but some of them are crossovers like you know she directed Fame as well and she directed uh Fresh Prince Jamie Foxx show A Different World uh Girlfriends not to be confused with the girlfriends we just mentioned uh scandal jane the virgin how to get away with murder empire a lot of like current stuff and, i love jane the virgin through the years yeah one of my favorite shows it's so good so what's the transition process for you like out of this year uh, i mean do you feel like you missed anything no i mean i caught up on a few things um i know there's like a lot of the oscar nominated films i haven't seen and i don't i don't care mostly. <laughs> Um, I wanted to see Mad Max, but I wanted to see it in theaters, so I waited. Like I didn't watch it right away, and they put it back in theaters, and I got to see it with the George Miller Q and A, and it was it blew my mind, just like everyone said it would. Yeah, so, it's my favorite um, movie of the year. And you know, I, I, I saw Creed because I uh, I actually hadn't seen Rocky Balboa either, so I did like a Rocky Balboa Creed double feature because I love all the Rocky movies. But that's about it in terms of things I wanted to catch up on. I, I also wanted to see Tangerine. Um, and I saw that. But mostly now I'm just trying to um, keep a nice balance. There was a bunch of films that I didn't get to that I still have on my Netflix queue and my Amazon watch list. And uh, Women in Film LA has this great incentive they're doing called 52 Films by Women, where they're encouraging people to watch a film a week directed by women. So I've been trolling that hashtag, even though I'm not associated with Women in hmm. Film LA. They, they are linking to one of my lists on their site, which is wonderful. But I like to give people... Um, uh, suggestions. So I've been going through the list and like, you know, retweeting when people watch movies that I enjoy, or like if someone's like, I don't know what to watch next. I'm like, what do you want? I get, I can tell, I can give you a suggestion. <laughs> so that's that's been fun. It's also nice going through that hashtag because a lot of people are watching films that I discovered last year, and and it's nice to see people discover them. And just in general, like someone was posting about Fish Tank, they'd never seen Fish Tank, and and they were just oh, like, I love that they, movie. Yeah. How, how yeah. Much Right, it was, and I was like, "Yes, Fish Tank is so good, and has been on Netflix for like five years." That's such a great thing about Twitter. I love that you can just type in movies and then see who's been talking about them. Yeah, it's you know, like film Twitter sometimes can get really awful, but <laughs> but if you if you go through hashtags and things and find people who aren't actually film Twitter and they're just like regular people who maybe watched this movie. Those are the ones I like to interact with because they're they're just pe- they're just regular people and they're not like too intellectual about their watching. There's this guy on the on Twitter that I love who is a huge fanatic of the Super Mario Brothers movie and he <laughs> he systematically like every week he retweets everybody who mentioned the Super Mario Brothers movie that week and there'll just be a huge long line of it and it's it's amazing because he he doesn't care if they liked it or didn't like it. He just cares that they talked about it. He's just the curator. Yeah. Of- <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing to just see like how much people really do talk about the Super Mario Brothers movie. And I also their varied responses to it. I believe that film was co-directed by a woman. Yep. Really? It yeah. was. Yeah. So, you know, 
you can count that towards 52 films by women. What did you think of uh, Creed, by the way? Because Creed had this interesting thing where I think it really got screwed by the Oscars in a lot of ways, but mostly not getting nominated for cinematography, which aside oh, from how good, it. you know, the, the DP was a woman. Yeah. And if she had gotten nominated, which she obviously should have, I didn't realize this, but that would have been the first time in the history of the Oscars that a woman would have gotten nominated for DP, let alone winning nominated. Yeah, it's that's a place as a, I have a friend who um, is a female cin- cinematographer. And so I, I hear a lot. And that's a place that is also the numbers are terrible. It's like six percent or something. And is bizarre to me because it's sort of like, uh, you know, that old saying painting with light. That's yeah. sort of what the cinematographers do. Right. And and there's so many great female photographers and female painters and other, you know, visual forms like that, that clearly the women are can do this job and women do a great job doing it. Like um, I saw several films this year that were DP by women that were as beautiful as anything. But I feel like having talked with my my lovely friend, there's so much sexism in here in the industry that like women, the numbers are so small, partly because women quit. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. You know, it's I, I had this really awful, great, great, awful conversation with this male director um, at, a, at a birthday party last year where I was telling him about the project and he was just getting very defensive. And it's it, I've always find it hilarious when men get defensive, when women are like, we just want to be equal. And men are like, but what about this? And it's like, I hate you so much. <laughs> um, he was like trying to say that women aren't treated differently on set. And I'm like, mm, there's, yeah, a whole tumbler, there's a whole Tumblr where they're documenting all the shit women here. But, you know, and then he's like, well, if they really, you know, if they really, really want to do this, they'll put up with it. And it's like the point is they shouldn't have to. They shouldn't have to. Because he's like, every, you know, everyone gets ribbed on set. And I'm like, the kind of ribbing that male on male ribbing is not the same as the kind of god awful things people say to women. Like, it's nowhere near the same. And then what's the Tumblr? Talk, it's called Shit People Say to Female Directors or Women Directors. I'm going to have to check that out. You know, my, my mother was a sound recordist uh, back in the day. And she, she has like it's one of these things where she hears about these sort of um, lawsuits coming out now about stuff that happens. And she's like, man, I, I wish that that was something that I knew I could have done back then, which, quite frankly, you really couldn't have because she had so many opportunities to sue for all the shitty things that that men said to her on set or, or did to yeah. her. And it's insane. And I mean, like, I, I have to say that I working now, uh, you know, in that industry, I am seeing more women showing up uh, on set and checking out gear and stuff like that. And that's really interesting to see because I know that that, you know, even though it's it's happening a little more now, I'm feeling a little optimistic about it. it you know, it's it's of course it's still happening. And of course, there's still these bullshit like, well, you know, like you should be able to deal with it when I touch you uh, inappropriately or you should be able to deal with it if I'm like making a joke about raping you or something. I mean, even worse is that this is happening like in office buildings. You know, this isn't just on set. You know, this is like across the world. But yeah, it's not just film. Yeah, this is a big problem in law, too. I did some um, film work for uh, law organizations that were trying to figure out why like in law school, it's 50-50 men, women, actually maybe a little more women than men. But by the time you hit law partner, it's like five or 10% women or something. Yeah. And it's the same thing where it's just, you know, people are hounded well, every day with stuff that another the men thing, are. Another thing that's not really talked about is when women decide to, that they want to have children, they're penalized for it in a way that yeah. men aren't. 
Um, for example, my friend who's a cinematographer, she told me when she was, we were still in film school together about one of her mentors telling her that if she wanted to have a baby, she should do it now because while well, she's still in school, because as soon as she gets in the industry, that if she takes time off to have a baby, she's not going to, she's going to get behind and they'll not, she won't get hired. And I was like, and he, he, he was trying to say this as like a warning. He wasn't trying to, you know, be a shit, but I was like, that is the worst thing I've ever heard. Like, if you want to procreate, you have to do it before you get into the job market because you'll get left behind. Like, and yeah, it's like awful. that for women in almost every industry. Like, we're we're one of the few countries that that really like shit on our mothers and our working mothers, and it's awful. And we were just talking about how everyone in the Oscars who's nominated for best actress and supporting is all it's like wife, mother, like uh, what else? It's like that's it, yeah, it. it was like all the jobs Made. that the the <laughs> best best actress characters had were wife and mother, and the men it was like inventor astronaut yeah. <laughs> at the golden globes for the category um best supporting actress in a mini series or limited series four of the five female characters because they describe the character they're like so and so is nominated for playing blah 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 who is xyz right four of the five descriptions were who that woman was that woman character was in relation to some man in her life and the only one who wasn't described that way was a character from orange is the new black who has no contact with men <laughs> And I was like, first of all, this is terrible. Second of all, I bet you those characters do other things where you could describe what they do and not talk about the men at all. Yeah. But it's like women really aren't allowed to be more than what they are defined by by men. And it's kind of like we think in 2016 we would be past that, but we're not. Absolutely. <laughs> it's really depressing. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break right now, and we'll be back with more Mariah Gates. So see you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, the Smug Film Podcast is brought to you by Jay Brunner, at Bobby Slow on Twitter. That's the name Bobby and the word Slow. Follow this guy on Twitter. He supports us on Patreon. Good man. Good tweets. If you like funny things, if you like people that exist, He's certainly one of them. So uh, check out his stuff. Follow that man. Enjoy yourself while doing so. Also, if you haven't checked out Minor Key Games, do yourself a favor and do that. Minorkeygames.com. Great computer games. Cheap, too. They're always doing some sort of sale on there. I love their games. Super Win the Game. Eldritch. You Have to Win the Game. Neon Struct. These are good games, folks. They're made by Dave and Kyle Pittman, and they support the show via Patreon, and you should check out their stuff. Minorkeygames.com Our other sponsor is, of course, Rick Harper. Room Full of Spoons is upcoming documentary on the movie The Room. Find out all about it at roomfullofspoons.com They talk to damn near everybody who had something to do with The Room. It's amazing the work that he put into this and his crew. You've heard him on the podcast. He's been on a couple times. He's a great guy. He's supporting this show. So check out roomfullofspoons.com. And now, back to the show. Hello, Smug Film fans. Did you know that Smug Film now has a voicemail box? Just call the following phone number. 718395-9789. Nine seven one one, and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name, and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening.
And now, back to the show. And we are back. All right. So one that I saw on your list that I wanted to bring up because I, I thought it was tremendous. I thought it was one of the best documentaries I've seen in the last decade was Queen of Versailles, which was directed by Lauren Greenfield. Uh, that's, a, that's just a tremendous film. Haunting. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. And, and part of what I, I liked about it was how non-judgmental she was in presenting this woman who in lesser hands would have been a joke. Right. And instead you kind of get this pathos and this like, uh, almost like I'm trying to think of the word I'm, I'm thinking of. Um, you almost feel, feel really t- bad for her, even though she's so rich. Yeah. So, it feels like she's in a trap. Yeah. And I mean, there's this one part in it that I particularly like where she talked about how she had gone to, um, college to become a computer programmer. And then she worked at IBM for a little bit and realized that her whole life was going to be lived in a cube. And that was just not, not a life she wanted to, to lead. And then went off and became like a model and, you know, married this super rich dude and lived in a large cube. Yeah. And yeah. And it made me sort of, um, when I would talk about this movie with other people, people talked about how ditzy she was. And I, I was like, I actually think she was kind of a shrewd woman who had pieces of her, of like living that she didn't quite know how to do right. But I don't think she was an idiot. How do you mean pieces of living that she didn't know how to well, do Well, right? like, because she had so much money and felt like she could, you know, she got so used to having that level of money when she didn't, you know, she had to cut down again. She didn't know how to do that anymore. Oh, um, yeah, I see what you mean. I thought that was interesting. But she, you know, she clearly was a, a compassionate woman who loved her children and loved giving to people and she just didn't quite like she didn't she wasn't raised like I mean, you know like super rich women are raised to like be the head of foundations and things and she wasn't so she didn't know how to quite use that money for the greater good right but she did occasionally try to use it for the greater good i don't know i think she's an interesting woman did they ever do a follow-up to it i'd like to see a another one of them i don't know i know that they're one of the daughters died recently Really? Oh, yeah. The the one that wasn't actually her daughter, it was like her niece. What happened? With them, she she uh, died of a drug overdose. Oh, wow. Uh, mm. They finished the house, I read. Really? Not too long ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are both equally exciting to me. <laughs> Just like a lot of stuff going on with yeah. them. Yeah. Huh. Man, that's terrible. So what were ones, uh, what were some of your favorites that you saw of the year? And and also, what what were your worst my like absolute favorite thing that I saw last year was Patricia Rosima's Mansfield Park. Yeah, Mansfield I saw you Park. talking that up big. Yeah. That really. It was a film I hadn't read. I hadn't. It was one of the few Austins that I hadn't read. So going into it, I didn't know the story at all. And I disagree with the ending in both the book and the movie because I read it afterwards. The ending is is crap, but it's a very Austin ending, and it's like very true to Austin's spirit as a as a creator. So you know, whatever. But the thing I liked about um, this film in particular is Patricia Razima is a lesbian and she adds a lot of lesbian subtext to this film that I don't think I've ever seen in a like period Austinite film mm. ever. And it's, and it's there and it's like, I want this to just be a lesbian film, um, but like set in the 18, you know, 10s, maybe I'll make that movie someday. But, yeah, um, sounds pretty good. I, yeah, right. But I, I enjoyed that subtext a lot, and but I also enjoyed how the main character Fanny is just so so sassy. I like sassy people, and she 
you know, the thing that most people gravitate towards with their Austin is the fact that these women uh, defy the society they live in with their wit. And, and that's just always fun. But apparently in the book, she's very mousy and not sassy at all. Cause I, I read the book and she's a terrible character in the book. She's, she's Austin's favorite character she ever created. And she's like the worst thing that Austin ever created. She's terrible, which is why like, you know, Patricia Rizima took liberties with this story. And a lot of people, a lot of like, you know, purists in the Austinite community, like hate this movie and, you know, I don't care. Those are it's, always the best ones. The second the, the purists of the perfect. book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The second that they they hate it, it's always the best movie. So I didn't I didn't watch that one. It looked really interesting off of what you said, but I didn't watch it because I wanted to read the book first. Yeah. So I've been dragging my feet on because those um, 19th century uh, British novels, I'm hit or miss with them. Should I yeah. just watch the movie? Just watch it. You can enjoy it on its own. It's it's really sexy. She also adds some really, really great commentary on the British slave trade. Ooh. That's like not in the book either, but you know, was a reality of that time. When and is it set? Eighteen tens, you said? It's like eighteen ten ish. And there's a great um sort of parallel between the way women are married off and and slaves are traded that um, is, is not very subtle and is in several other films, but the way it's done in this film in particular, I thought was handled really well. I particularly like Edith Wharton's novels. Like Edith Wharton writes- Oh, she's wonderful. Similar, she writes similar things to Austin, but like- Sassier. So much, more, so much more feminist and so much more like everybody is terrible and society hates women and I'm going to show you that. And it's so great to watch. Like, ugh, or read. Watch and read, I guess. I don't know. Edith Wharton's amazing. You're a big uh, Little Women fan, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. Little Women, both book and movie, I love. That movie is so amazing. And the book is great. And Winona Ryder as Joe Forever, basically, greatest film character. That was tremendous casting, that movie. I don't think it gets enough credit for how. It, if you, yeah, and you look at it now and you're like, all those people that were babies. Yeah, it's like Stand By Me, where like every one of them wound up sticking around. Yeah. You know, speaking of babies, I saw that you watched Dogfight, which is also one of the oh, best the movies. Best. Yes. I actually saw that one a few years ago um, from criteria, or from uh, Warner Archive. It's, I used to work for Warner Archive, so I, I like watched all the female films that they had. And Lily Taylor in that gives one of the best performances like ever. Oh, yeah. Like phenomenal. And and then, you know, you, you add like um, Phoenix to that and it's just like... How is this not a movie that everyone talks about when they talk about 90s cinema? Oh, God, yeah. It's it's like just one of the most... That's like a breath of fresh air, that movie. It still is. That's the... <laughs> yeah. If if you can find it, her other movie, True Love, is really good. TCM showed it during their, their festival. And it's like two weeks in the life of these engaged people in New York and all the like angst that they go through. But it's, it's, it's similar in tone to like just how uh life really like smacks you in the face even when you're in love i'll have to see that one because i i adore dogfight so what was uh one of the worst you've seen of that grouping of last year uh so i really really disliked it's complicated like <sighs> and i really love nancy myers so john D'Amico's fuming over there <laughs> i i haven't seen it since it came out but i i distinctly remember um you just hate it so much See, that interests me because I distinctly remember coming out of that movie really liking it, but now I can't remember anything about it except it, Streep and Baldwin. It wastes 
Steve Martin, which in my book is like a cardinal sin. <laughs> You've got Steve Martin in your movie. Oh, I forgot he was even in it. <laughs> exactly. They I'm not a big Steve Martin guy, though. He not have anything to do. And then, like, all of the characters are horrible, cliched people. All of them. And, but I particularly disliked the way they treated the new wife. It was so, like, not nuanced at all. And her character barely, like exists other than to irritate the Streep character. She doesn't have a life of her own. And I'm like, she is a woman and she should have more to do. And then all of the children, like, I don't know any siblings that behave the way these siblings do. It was like the worst case of movie siblings I've ever seen hmm. where it's like, I, I, does Nancy Myers even have children? I think she does. So she should know better. Children never behave like this and grown children definitely don't behave like this. It was, Horrifying. And I remember thinking when it was over that if the only person I thought was any good was John Krasinski, there's a real problem <laughs> with this movie. Um, you didn't like Streep in it? No, I thought she was terrible. She was absolutely terrible in this movie. Yeah. I also, there's a particular part, and this is me being a Californian that irritated me, where she has this huge sprawling house and this huge garden and all of this stuff. You never once see any of the people that would probably be on her staff cleaning it or tending to the garden. Or oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but you don't. The, the people that are as rich as, as she is, they have cleaning people and they have, you know, gardeners and they have all kinds of stuff mm. and they're not featured at all. And it could have just easily with like a background made or something been, you know, more accurate and, and have not all white people. Yeah. I, I liked that. It was um, about old people in love or, you know, struggling through love. I, I, I think that's kind of a unexplored territory. So I think when anything even does it, I give it points. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can say for that. Yes. That's it's good to see like old people having sex because having older parents who I accidentally walked in on having sex <laughs> once in high school, they do that. <laughs> and, and the movies don't really um, show it. You know, I'll give it that. Do you have any films you're looking forward to that are coming out in 2016? Made by women? Uh, Ellie Reichardt has a new film coming out and a restoration release of her first film. So it's like a double Kelly Reichardt year. What was her first? Was it River of Grass? River of Grass. It's been restored. Oh, I love River of Grass. It's back in theaters. I've never seen it. I'm so excited to get to see it all restored and beautiful. It's. I think it's Sounds one of the, the only movies to capture Florida well. I think Florida is notoriously, for me, difficult for any movie to get right. That one does it. That makes me really even more excited to see it. That's, I love to hear that. Because I, I, mean, I grew up in rural California, and that's part of why I loved McFarland so much. Was I grew up in a different part of rural California, but most of rural California looks very similar. Hmm. And I was like, they did it. They actually captured what this small town California is like. Yeah, that's always like such a thrill when there's one and you're like, yeah, you got it. Yeah, it was it was wonderful. I was like, this. you could tell they had filmed it like in small town California. It was fantastic. I'm so looking forward to this double Kelly Riker year. And I'm hoping um, Nikki Caro's The Zookeeper's Wife comes out this year. They're wrapping up production soon. So we'll see. It might be 2017. But Jessica Chastain and Daniel Bruhl are in that. And I love both of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very pro Chastain. I'm pro Bruhl. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. He had like a German romantic comedy that came out two years ago and it never made it to Los Angeles. It only played in New York. And like isn't streaming anywhere. And I'm just like, I want 
a romantic comedy starring Daniel Bruhl to be on my TV screen. Why is this so hard? Wait, which one? Oh, I don't remember what it was called, but when it came out, I was like, this sounds amazing. Yeah, I want to see it. I want a romantic <laughs> comedy starring Steve Bruhl. <laughs> Just putting that out there. If anybody's listening with some power in that regard, please. There's a, another movie I saw with him at a German film festival where he like you get to see his butt. And I was like, I'm very pro man butt in movies. And I was really happy. Oh, yeah. Um, it's I'm like all a about so- that. Like a soccer movie. I don't know. I feel like those have got to be full of butts. Soccer movies. I don't know that I've ever seen a soccer movie offhand except Victory with Pele. But like you feel like that's where they go. What was that movie with like August Deal and Daniel Bruhl and they have like a, a love triangle? You ever see that? Yeah. No. I The Educators? Is that the one? Oh, well, that there, there is that one too. That Love and Thoughts. Love, love and Thoughts. Yeah. That was, that was a weird like, movie. It was on my Netflix queue for a while, but I never... Never got to it. I'm trying to find this romantic comedy, and he's done so many movies with names that aren't descriptive. <laughs> I'm not sure which it is. Isn't the educators, aren't they stealing in that one? What's the one where they're like robbing the houses? Yeah, that's the educators. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty good. I forgot about that movie. <laughs> Just go right into German flicks right now. Yeah. <laughs> Could do a big German cinema episode. All right, well, Mariah Gates, great to have you on, and uh, we definitely want to plug your stuff thoroughly. So uh, let's get some uh, plugs going. Anything you want people to check out? Uh, well, if you follow me on Twitter, which is Old Films Flickr, uh, that's where I'm trolling the 52 Films by Women hashtag. So <laughs> there will be lots and lots of female filmmakers showing up throughout the year on there. And then my Tumblr is also Old Films Flickr, and it's mostly women in film as well. Great. And uh, any final thoughts, guys, before we skedaddle? Well, I got to see Mansfield Park. And now I'm kind of interested in rewatching It's Complicated. If you do re- rewatch it, I'll, I'll send you my YouTube review and you can see why I didn't like it. Okay. I mean, you make a pretty compelling case. I'm not going to lie. I did like The Intern, which came out this year. Oh, I didn't see that. Was that good? It was good. It was really good. And, and the thing about, you know, everyone's reservations about like maybe... De Niro was going to be too paternal or whatever in terms of his relationship with Anne Hathaway. It wasn't, it never even went there. It was all about like mutual respect of each other's um, talent, regardless of age or gender. That was what, that was the message. That's an interesting one for Hathaway in particular, because I think nobody gives her enough respect. Yeah. She's so talented and, and she's, I don't know, people are real guns out with Hathaway. I don't know why people don't like her. She's, she's Princess Mia. Like, (laughs) The, the Princess Diaries came out when I was like 15, I think. So it was like, I'm, I was the marketed person <laughs> in that movie and I loved it. I, I tried to have a really fat cat, just like her. I fed my cat way too much butter. <laughs> Is it butter? <laughs> you just shoveled butter? I butter to the cat, yeah. We, she ate it and she got really fat, so it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Shoveling butter into a so cat. Now, now you guys know if you need to fatten up a cat. Yeah, that's the yeah. way to do it. I think butter works for most things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Just shovel things with butter and they'll get bigger. (laughs) All right. So we're going to close it out here. And uh, thank you again for being on the show. That was a lot of fun to talk about all those films. Uh, Thank you for having me. If you, you know, people want to continue chatting, I'm always on Twitter. Yeah. Hit her up. Tell her what you thought of the episode. Ask her questions. Bug her day and night. Go for it. It's Twitter. And I will will respond. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter's (laughs) 24-7, folks. Congrats on completing it, by the way. You should make a book. Absolutely. I'll buy the book. I'm I'm hoping to. I have a lot of extensive notes. I have to get it all, you know, organized 
That's exciting. And then, and then pitch myself, which is, you know, artist thing. It's a lot easy. It's very easy to sit in your house and like do work and share it with people, but then like compiling it and pitching it to like people with like the money to back you. That's really hard. Here's a tip for you. When you, when you go to pitch it, don't say your name's Mariah. Say it's Martin and just lower your voice. <laughs> <laughs> Wear a fake mustache and stand yeah, on... fake mustache. You gotta be standing on somebody else's shoulders like in <laughs> Little Rascals or whatever. Do they do that in Little Rascals or am I just associating uh, that in my head? They do it in, in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Ah, yes. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so you, use All Dogs Go to Heaven as your template for uh, how to get I, this I book published. Yeah, just I anybody think. if you have a job interview. <laughs> Look at All Dogs Go to Heaven and... <laughs> <laughs> good source <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks a lot guys thanks for listening see you soon bye bye